Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. This is episode 34 and as always my name is Ben Jackson. I'll be your host for today's episode and once again I'm joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing? Good as always. Let's do this. Let's go. Yeah, to be, to be honest, my my ma... My insights a bit are a bit on fire because, uh, well, I, I ate something spicy before, so uh, I'll, I'm definitely ready. <laughs> Things not to do in podcasting, man, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> Amazing. What an intro. So, yeah, as always in this episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, we'll just go back over the results from the weekend and just kind of a chat about all the goings-on that happened this weekend, yet Joris has got some stuff lined up around about VAR, which we're joking is now becoming his favourite topic, but it definitely isn't. It's becoming, yeah, sort of just a little bit of an annoyance and no news to talk about this week. As it is the international break coming up, there's no games this weekend, which is a shame. So we'll probably take a break next week from recording and then come back a, a week after. But yeah, let's get on with it this week, shall we? So I'll just quickly run through the results. On Friday, we had a really entertaining cup final preview with Genk against Standard Liège, finishing 2-all. Muscol and Oostend played out a controversial 1-0 win for Oostend. Erpen and Kortschleich faced each other on the Saturday as well. Erpen ran out winners 2-0. Club Rouge lost at home against Antwerp 2-0. Mechelen and Leuven played an entertaining 2-all draw. Anderlecht beat Zolta Valagem at home 4-1. Amazingly, they scored four goals and Lucas Nemecha didn't score a single one of them. That's like unheard of. And then on the Sunday night game, we had another ball fest, but thankfully Ghent made it 1-0 so that we actually did have a result and we weren't faced with another 0-0. Scott, I'm going to head to you first. What game was your game of the week out of those? Well, I thought we might we might head to the capital uh, this week. So we're off to Brussels for Anderlecht's 4-1 home win over uh, Zulta Varagim. Quite an interesting one, this, actually, for, for a number of reasons. I suppose the story is Anderlecht dominated this game, completely dominated it, despite losing a slightly bizarre early goal inside the first five minutes to, to Zulta. Um, long ball to the back post, and uh, the ball managed to kind of creep in. But yeah, Anderlecht totally dominated this game to the extent that I think they had, what, just over 60-odd percent of the, the overall possession, 26 shots in the game, 11 big chances created, a pass succession rate of, I think it was around about 89-90% throughout the game. They actually made Boston make seven saves, I think, and Willen Reuter in the, in the Anderlecht goal didn't make a single save in the game. So that that is a good indication as to you know the way that this game did pan out. And I was thinking when I was watching it, isn't it amazing, guys, what having your best players available on the pitch actually does to your performance? You know, looking at that lineup, Mikhailichenko was brought back in by company. I think that was his first appearance since the 15th of December, if I'm right, which is just kind of bizarre, actually. I know we'd remarked a while ago on on the fact it was a bit strange that he hadn't been getting any game time um, and was only getting appearances on the subs bench for for kind of cup games. So he comes back in and and I thought had a pretty decent game. Ashimiru, who we already know about, you know, back in treble back had a good game, really good game, provided two assists for two of the four goals and there's just something about I think his his reading of the game is really really good when he concentrates on his footballing abilities and I think the experience he brings and that level head I think it's quite important to the side because we know how young it is great to see Versharan back again another really solid game from him another player worth mentioning Anu Aretel Haj who we will come back to in a minute uh, when we're singling out players but I think for me for once isn't it great to see all that possession and game done 
dominance that Anderlecht have had in so many games this season actually translate into proper tangible impact and it may just be Anderlecht's best performance of the season that yeah no I completely agree I think the players you mentioned there Scott are just so important and we've kind of spoken about this previously in terms of like lack of creativity lack of player that can play that like pass that will lead to a goal and an assist and you had treble come in and you saw like the weights kind of lifted off someone like Lakonga, who a lot of that pressure had been put on and it isn't necessarily his type of game the way he wants to play um so you bring in treble he can do it you bring Rocher and he can do it Ait El Hadj I know you want to talk some more about him but I just want to jump in and say I think he's a fantastic young prospect like I'm kind of annoyed that those of you who have listened to me on the Scouted Football Podcast talk about Anderlecht, I completely forgot to bring him up and I'm really frustrated that I did because I feel like he just goes under the radar. He's been under the radar a little bit but and he hasn't played that much. But when he has played, he's just been so impressive. Like two really, really good goals he's, I've seen him score this season. And like I kind of said earlier, like Nemecha didn't score. And I think what I did actually quite like about Nemecha is like they're I think they're 3-1 up and he missed a chance and he still just looks so angry and frustrated like you could tell as a striker it hurts that your team's scoring all these goals and you're not scoring one of them like I love to see that in a striker yeah I guess Zolta going down to 10 men did have an impact on that like you said Boston had to make a lot of saves and it's kind of felt a bit like watching them when they played against Club Brugge where he he's been fantastic for them in those two games that I've seen like I thought he made some really good saves in this one he was a bit unlucky with quite a few of the goals actually I guess with the Murillo goal, you could maybe argue that he should have pushed it further away. But I think it was such like a close range save. You can't really be too critical. For Sharon just shows some really lovely feet to score past him. So yeah, I felt a bit unlucky for him. I know that Zalta manager Frankie Jury wasn't too impressed about the red card decision. I don't know what you thought about that. <laughs> yes, I think he was he was infuriated by a few of the referees' decisions actually. And w- watching the game, there was there was there was a few free kicks actually that went against them that that frankly were were a bit bizarre to be honest. Um, so he was he was pretty exasperated through through a lot of that game. I thought, yeah, I mean the the red card for me, uh, yeah, I mean I, I didn't really have a problem with it. I think it was one of those where. It looked a lot worse than it actually was on on most of the replays, but I think the referee kind of gave the red because he left his foot in, really, didn't he? And he didn't have to do that. He could have taken it out, and I think that's what did for him in the end. So I, I don't really have a problem with the with the red. I think you know going one nil up so early in the game as Zalta did against the run of play was difficult for Zalta because as soon as as soon as they'd scored, they kind of dropped back very very deep, and there was this inclination to just defend, hand the initiative to Anderlecht. And I was when I was watching it, I was thinking, you know, Zalta are just not good enough in a game management sense to be able to to manage that. I don't think, and they didn't have an out ball either. That was another issue that they had. There's no way of getting any any transition play, even mildly effective, going either, um, which was a problem. And I was thinking, well, you know. You can't you can't play out the whole game like this. Bizarrely, actually, they they were a lot better in the second half. But by early in the second half, as we know, they already went three one down, and that's really when they started to try and play. Uh, by which time it was already kind of too late. But I thought they were on the whole pretty toothless Zalta, and a lot of their play was 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 worse than that. It was almost brainless. I would have described it as, which is a bit unkind. But that's how I felt watching it. I thought, come on, guys, you've you know you've got to try and get your foot on the ball and push the lines up 
just a little bit here to give yourself some breathing space because there were actually the gaps between midfield and defence were, were far too big and it was just inviting all of Anderlecht's best players, their creative players, to run into space, um, which they did on a number of occasions. Um, and actually, the score doesn't, doesn't really flatter Anderlecht. On another day, that could have been 6 or 7-1, to be honest. Yeah, and about the red card, I, I just have to quote something ridiculous from Olivier Deschacht after the game. He said something in the lines of, uh, subjectively speaking, it, it wasn't a red card. But yeah, then the VAR comes uh, in a complaining voice. Obviously, the VAR comes with all their objectivity and all. It's like, uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that, what's your point? That's the good thing about it. Before I go on yeah. my rant uh, or later on, like, this was actually a good thing. The, the statement itself was just like yeah. ridiculous. Uh, even despite whatever, if you find it a red card or not, I personally think so as well. Um, I also want to jump in on Trebel. Yeah, you, you mentioned two assists yeah. earlier in the season. We talked about how ridiculous it is to, to get yeah, sometimes the name of an assist. Like I would say three assists because on the Murillo goal where Murillo needed two attempts to score, he actually also gives a third assist, which isn't counted officially. Yeah. But yeah. Obviously, like, you can't really say that Murillo gave the assist to himself. And then the, yeah, a small stat on Trebel. I'm not a biggest fan of him, and I know many Anderlecht fans also aren't. But yeah, he started only seven games this season, but they haven't lost a single one of them. They won four, they had three draws. Even despite not being a, a favorite team, it might really indicate that Anderlecht really need him for the moment. But of course, there will also, yeah, there were indeed plenty of changes, positive changes for Anderlecht in this game. Yeah, they're really good points. I think, you know... The... I was thinking that the team selection was really good, if I'm honest, as well. I mean, I, I think the balance was was much better. And I think on the treble point, I think they, in a way, that's kind of what the team is missing on a regular basis. One or two players whose reading of the game is quite good, like trebles is, actually. And just, just that experience, I, I think it has a calming influence in some of the younger players around as well, which, which is important, especially when, you know, you play well, which they've done in lots of games this season, but not quite managed to have the impact that they did at the weekend there and that performance did everything that they've been trying to do all season and I think there's just there's, there's something in that team selection I think he, some of these players that, that hadn't been playing regularly have to have to play more I think you know more of a settled side I suppose because company does like to rotate a little bit I think too much probably yeah and I think just kind of jumping on your team selection point and kind of flipping it over to Zolta like I feel like this was one of those classic cases like maybe I'm wrong maybe there's some injury concerns or whatever but where managers overthink a situation so much that they don't just stick out their best team Mm. so you look at the starting lineup for Zolta and this is no offense to Yusuf Silla whatsoever he's only 18 years old like clearly they see him as like a bright prospect but were you really starting him away at Anderlecht when you've got your top scorer Gianni Bruno who's having a fantastic season on the bench you've got Thomas Shorey as well who's been fantastic this season on the bench like what's that about <laughs> well I just don't understand why you... Gianni Bruno actually got a got a day off because yeah, his wife was pregnant and he was the yeah she was giving birth at least so, mm. so yeah he, he got a day off so that's indeed a, a circumstance uh, there but yeah of course sure he was still there yeah like why wouldn't you start joy okay then I complete yeah on the Gianni Vuda one that's fair because I saw he came on at half time so I was a bit like confused but I guess that's probably a way more important thing for him but yeah why wouldn't you start Shory then over a young guy just trying to find his way in the game but I guess for Silla it's like great um 
experience and stuff like that but yeah it's just interesting and i have to say it's like one of those final t- way like Anderlecht are actually entertaining to watch which they really haven't been a lot of the times this season they've been really like difficult to sit down and watch a game where Anderlecht play but this was definitely much better and Scott I know there is one player that you really want to talk about from this game as your player of the week yeah you mentioned Anur Etel Haj a minute ago and I, I, I couldn't not go for him this week just because he's just there's, there's a spark there with Etel Haj that is just really really interesting he's you know Anderlecht's 18 year old Belgian central midfielder although he was playing on the right wing at the weekend and and more often than not does there very effectively I think he's got two goals in 19 games uh, so far this season which which doesn't sound like much but you have to remember that this is really his breakthrough season at Anderlecht still only 18 I think he's I think anyway, from what I've seen of him so far, I, I think he's probably going to be the next big thing to come out of Anderlecht's Nearpeed Academy and he's definitely one to watch. So there's an audaciousness about him and I do think he's an impact player. There was a moment in, the, I think it was about the 70-71st minute where he played an outrageously good pass with the, the, the outside of his foot crossfield pass to Inmecha who sent him through, cut Zalta wide open. Inmecha, you know, couldn't finish it, went into the side net and it was one of those passes where you thought, wow, the the quality of that product was just insanely good. So good, in fact, that actually Romelu Lukaku, who you know obviously needs no introduction, happened to tweet from his own Twitter account how insanely good that ball was. And that's that's exactly the sort of quality of product that you're looking for from a player like that. And I think you know another season at this level, and uh, I think he's going to become a very important player for Anderlecht. He looks like he enjoys taking responsibility as well. Uh, there's something kind of quite, yeah, I use the word audacious, but yeah, I think that's probably the right word. Fantastic, you know, got one of the goals from a, a kind of great decoy run as well that, that Treble spotted to, to slip him in. But brilliant performance and uh, yeah, a, a bright, bright future, I think, um, awaits El Hadj. And arguably he's the biggest asset there at the moment after Lakonga. Yeah, and I still don't get why company has played him on the wing so often because that's one of the reasons why indeed his stats are not that great yet of course for every young player that's that's not a, no shame but yeah you see that it is already improving by with now playing him more centrally and uh, putting in yeah more into the half spaces where he he really loves to play in these and like yeah he's a he's really a, i'm really a fan as well it's so exciting to watch and he's definitely improving week by week he also made my team of the week for a reason, of course. Yeah, absolutely. And the finish as well. And the goal he scored earlier in the season, I can't remember who it was against. I do. <laughs> like a volley. <laughs> oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that was a really good finish as well. So he's got like, he's just technically good. Like you said, Scott, he's like audacious. He's confident as well. Like you can see it when he gets on the ball. Like he's, there's this confidence kind of coming from him. He's only 18. And yeah, on the Romelu Lukaku point, like I'm, I don't know if listeners know, but he has always talked about wanting to kind of come back to Anderlecht at some point. And if he's watching El Hadj and wanting to play with him, I think Romelu, you're going to have to come back quite soon because I don't think he's going to be around for much longer. So <laughs> yeah, maybe this summer. It's not going to happen, is it? Let's move on to, I'll go for my game of the week now. Again, game which didn't have as many goals as Scott's game unfortunately a bit cagey but it was a massive massive game for Moose Glon and they were 
absolutely dominated by Oostend for the 90 minutes. Oostend just seemed to have chance after chance after chance. Uh, we'll get to the controversial goal in a bit. I'm sure we kind of all want to have our say on that one. But yeah, it took the took Oostend until the 92nd minute. Poor old Herve Coffee. We do love him at this show, especially early in the season. He was fantastic, but he makes a mistake in the 92nd minute from across, drops it at the feet of Mahta Gay. Mahta Gay makes no mistake. Oostend players and coaching staff go absolutely mad because they finally found a breakthrough. And yeah, it was just another game where I'm just more and more concerned about Musgron. They just really don't seem to have anything going forward. And I think I tweeted it out. It was one of those ones where I feel like all they kind of want to do is just stay in the game for as long as possible and then hope that they'll get lucky in like one chance and maybe De Costa will score, maybe uh, Tabakoy on the counter-attack. We've already seen that he's quite lethal on the counter-attack, but they just couldn't get anything going really uh, counter-attacking wise they even brought on Zadas uh, in the second half nothing really changed which is really really depressing for them to watch really I guess if you're a Muscaron fan like with everything that's going on around the club at the moment and you're watching this game Usten had 59% of the possession according to the stats I saw Usten had 15 shots five of which were on target lots of crosses that Coffee really wasn't thrilling me with confidence about kind of coming and going not really sure what to do I think his confidence has definitely taken a hit uh, with everything that's been going on recently you can kind of see like with him questioning himself according to the stats I have Muscon had 10 shots I think I don't know how you how the uh, they count the shots because I can't remember a single one apparently only two on target which does make sense it was just really really poor I guess you could say. But let's get to the really controversial moment in this game. So if people haven't seen it, it's a corner for Oostend. Gets swung across. Coffee misses it. Kind of goes for everyone. Gets to the back and like kind of hits Sakala. Hits the crossbar. Then Sakala kind of like bundles it in. It like on face value, it just looked like a completely fine goal. There didn't seem to be anything wrong. But then there's the VAR check. And the referee goes over to the monitor and like the replays are going and still I'm watching. I'm like, I just don't understand what they're looking at here. Like, are they looking at whether there was a touch from a player as the corner comes in, like that's then flicked on, but that that wasn't clear. And then the referee disallows the goal, calls over, like to be fair to him, he calls over um, Tiata, the centre-back from Oostend and clearly says something to him. So like he explains his decision and then he pulls his hand up for offside. And it's clearly he thinks that Tiata was offside. And yours, I think you kind of said to me, maybe they thought... Or maybe this was the explanation you've heard that Tiata was blocking a Muscon defender from getting to the ball in an offside and he was in an offside position. But the defender was never going to get there anyway. Like Sakala's on the goal line. There's like there's no way a defender is ever going to get there in time to get in front and block it. It was the most honestly the most ridiculous decision I've ever seen. And it's causing the question like what are we doing? Like what are we doing with VAR when we're making these bizarre decisions that no one understands? Eleven Sport tweeted out like the rights holders. They were like we have no idea what's just happened, but this goal hasn't been given. Ustend like they I saw today like there was a tweet that said VAR was used flawlessly this weekend like the referees have come out and said it was used flawlessly it worked perfectly well (laughs) (laughs) East End just were underneath it like their Twitter account was just underneath it like are you joking but just in like a, some sort of meme or gift form. And I was like, yeah, like, I'm not surprised. And like, even I think Muscron fans were probably like, what the hell has just happened? No one complained. No no Muscron players complained after this, after the goal went in. Like, no one said anything. And then just, it just got taken away. I'm going to hand over to you guys because I just think, yeah, I just want to hear what your guys' opinions of this 
weird decision was. I still have, even now, several days on, I, I still have no idea what what VAR identified that, that we didn't see. I've seen all the angles we were allowed to see, and I, and I don't see an issue anywhere at all. I still don't. And I, you know, yeah, I'm as incredulous as anybody else. And in a way, Ustend managing to get the win kind of, I suppose, vindicates the, the farcical sort of situation around the, the first goal being chopped off as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about the most ridiculous decision because if you compare it, it's basically like if an attacker is offside on a, on a shot on goal and blocking the side of a goalkeeper, and we've seen a few of these already, it's a bit similar to that, I guess. But yeah, it's still a very weird decision, I, in my opinion, as well. And um, yeah, just, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> that is it, isn't it? This, I don't know, is kind of like the answer to it. Yeah, East End definitely deserved to win this game. Like, there was no doubt in my mind that they were the better team. And looking ahead for Muscon, like, it's not looking great with the fixtures coming up. They've got Charleroi, who have completely fallen off a cliff, so there's a chance there. Then they've got a very impressive Antwerp side, and then they've got Club Brugge, like, the final game of the season like that's a tough run in in all honesty like they currently sit just outside the relegation places a point above circle and about five points above Fazan Beveren Fazan still have game in hand over both those sides but yeah I don't know I think they could it's basically dependent on these other two bottom sides like if they pick up the points because yeah I think Muscon could get a win against Charleroi I think Charleroi have been so poor recently like that nil nil against St. Truden was just dire so there's there's a chance there and if they can pick up those three points then they may be okay with losing those last two games yeah I don't know what do you guys think about that yeah I think I think it's all very much kind of still to play for really I mean we we were talking a little bit over the weekend weren't we guys about how you know I think Beveren will be probably the most relieved side of of anybody over the weekend because it means they're still alive and kicking and that this isn't over yet I mean we we spoke last week actually didn't didn't we, about how with, with Beveren's game being postponed, a, a Muscron win at the w- weekend there would have would have arguably been pretty fatal for Beveren and, and that didn't happen. So it's really going to come down to, yeah, the, the smallest of margins. And that, that fantastic Charleroi goal a few weeks ago in stoppage time at Beveren that denied Beveren three points, I think that that is a... That's two points dropped for Beveren uh, in recent weeks that that could yet still have a big bearing on on how this season finishes up in terms of in terms of relegation. But I, I definitely think this is going to to the wire still. I don't see the problem. Like Muscogee are undefeated against all three teams that they still are are playing. <laughs> that- to be fair, like all jokes, that's a really good point, though, isn't it? They love playing against these bigger teams, um, or arguably the bigger teams. So maybe we'll got they're going to take six, nine points out of nine, coast to safety, and everyone will be like, "What are you guys talking about? You clearly don't know anything about Belgian football." <laughs> On the other hand, they also didn't win either one of them. They drew against all uh, all of these teams. Three points could be enough, I think, for them. Like it's just you just can't trust the other anyone of the bottom sides to be consistent. But when you look at the run-ins and who the t- other teams playing, going through the run-ins now, Circle play Beerschot, Leuven, and Ustend, and. Vazland have that game in hand uh, where they'll play St. Truden, which is like a massive game. They also play Ustend, Kortrijk and Leuven. So like Vazland, Beveren and Circle kind of play very similar teams whereas Muscona playing a Charleroi side in turmoil and then the top two. So on paper they have the harder running, but 
it's been quite a crazy season and like results have been quite random so we'll see what happens quickly before I hand over to Yoris to go through everything else I want to just quickly jump to my player of the week who despite having a 6.3 rating on footmob I thought he was so much better than that during the game and Yoris we were both kind of watching the game at the same time and speaking on whatsapp but went for um Hrozovsky of Genk I know Yoris is like a massive fan you've been saying like when he's in the side they just play better and so I was like okay I'm just gonna really really watch him and just see what he does and he was just fantastic he's always where you need him to be his passing is just you can tell he's just such an intelligent player i think he had like 90 percent or like a 90 plus percent pass success rate i'm just not surprised he links the play really well he kind of compliments everyone else on the pitch like he lets other people do what they need to do but when you need something done it seems like hazovsky's the man to do it he was getting fouled when like he's in a tough situation to get out of it and stuff like that i don't really want to dwell on it too much because Yoris, I feel like you're probably better suited to speak more about him. But yeah, he was my player of the week. I think the guys at Footmob, you need to, I don't know, sort out the ratings or something because I feel like 6.3 was really, really harsh. When the other guys in the midfield, Heinen and Thorsdale, got a 7.1, whereas I feel like he was arguably better than those guys on the on the night. It was a really entertaining game as well, Yoris. I'm sure you're going to talk about it. But yeah, Hrozovsky definitely needs to be a mainstay in that gank midfield because I just thought he was fantastic on the weekend. Yeah, and like when I say said so, such things, it's indeed more of like the cohesion in the squads. Like, well, we've already touched on with Anderlecht now as well. Um, mm. But yeah, individually, lately, is also just performing well. I, f- I remember one slightly ridiculous phase in the in the first half where it was yeah where he did make a mistake, but the mistake basically was like uh, they were playing at the back and Arteaga pushed uh, uh, played the ball to him a bit too hard, so then he lost it because he couldn't keep it under control and it was a potentially danger dangerous situation. So I can get that his rating dropped a bit there, but somehow he didn't recover. And even that was, of course, not his fault. So that's also just, yeah, to point out, like sometimes these things can still be very misleading. Yeah, he's, he's just such a vital part in the squad, basically. It's like he, lately he's been everywhere and running everywhere, helping each other out, uh, giving instructions. Okay, he's not probably like more of the, the silent type of leader, but still he g- does give the instructions and he, he points where people should be, They like putting the strategy out, I guess. And yeah, he, he dares to tra- sometimes to, to, uh, give the, to give the long ball. Uh, he also, is, it's not that all of his passes are like that, but he also can be sometimes Sometimes that's in his in his worst periods. That's probably what's the main criticism. He, he sometimes plays it's too safe. He was finding solutions. He was turning away. Like that was also in this game. That was my, my main thing. Like he was just always finding the right turn. Like the the turn for whether it was a turn forward or if it was a turn backwards. Yeah, he found the space uh, for himself. And then yeah, of course you make it easier for yourself to play. Another thing that more in general then that he that that also could be a criticism point. Like he's not the strongest. So yeah, he he saw, if he, lo- he he dares to lose a ball or a duel. But yeah, if, if, even in this high intensity game, uh, very intense game against Standard, he, he clearly, yeah, he did all the right things. So it's not that that's something that, yeah, should influence ratings or anything. So I, I agree with that. Like 6.3, it's weird. Okay, I can get like your goal scorer and, assi- and give, assist givers get more, get a bigger rating automatically. That bias I can get. But like here, I just don't really see the reason for this. Yeah, like during the game, I was like, oh, I'm just going to see what his rating is because I've been really impressed. And I was like, oh, 6.3, bizarre. Before you move on with your roundup, I did just want to give like, I've seen a lot of criticism on um kind of like standards, Twitter account and stuff like that from 
uh, Nikolai Gavari. And I just want to say during this game, I thought he was, this was arguably his best game of the season in terms of crossing. Really random thing to bring up, but I felt like I just wanted to touch on it because I was kind of thinking about him as kind of a player of the week just because I've seen the criticism of him and I thought like, on the weekend, his crosses were fantastic. I thought they were really dangerous. They put Genka under a lot of pressure. And when you got someone like Klaus and then later on you have Maleka as well, like you've got goal scorers in there that can that want to get on the end of things like this. So yeah, I just want to give a shout out to Gavary. I think he attempted seven and four of them were accurate. So that's pretty decent success rate on that one. Let's just get ahead with you now and like your roundup and any sort of rants you want to have. Yeah, first another rant. Yes, rant. <laughs> <laughs> just a comment and some suggestions from my side. You can completely ignore that. But uh, like, just if it goes on like this without many explanations, and almost every game, a lot of frustrations. I just don't want the VAR anymore. I was in favor of it all the time, but they just have driven me to a point that I can just say, like, yeah, please stop it for now, freeze the process for for some time. In the meantime, train some people specifically for this purpose to be a VAR referee, which don't necessarily need to be, and maybe rather not, a real referee, but just more people with video analysis experience. And just give it another try in a few more years. Like I, for one, I, I, I could accept human, I, and I can accept human errors if there is a reasoning behind it. So, like a referee, let them make mistakes. It happens. It's annoying. It's frustrating and all, but I can accept that. But it's way more difficult to accept that a system that is supposed to make things clear and lessen the amount of mistakes made. Like, just doesn't do that it actually confuses things even more it's like, like yeah just yeah like this please don't use it anymore and in addition to that like something else that that just also adds to the confusion don't change the rules of the game every year that's maybe more shout out internationally than to the fifa or whatever but so uh just don't change the rules of the game every so often at least over the course of a few seasons keep them however they are to get people not confused by everything uh, my suggestion actually is it is then to indeed take the time as well and introduce some new rules uh, together with the ne- with a new VAR try in a few seasons. Um, also make it then more tailored to the to the to the rules more tailored to the areas VAR can clearly be helpful. Yeah, I guess that's what they did try as well. But with the current VAR, but there's definitely room for improvement there. And well, just the main points are like educate both the people behind the VAR and also like be more transparent that's because that adds to the confusion of course so let us follow us as fans uh follow the process a bit more that doesn't need to be too much it can can easily be done by um, i think this is more a regional thing again uh, by allowing the refs to to give interviews because i know in netherlands for example they do that to give their opinion on events that happens uh, on the on the field so that they can express their opinions and like what i said like if there's a reasoning behind something and you still think it's a human error or it clearly is the, the yeah the referee made a mistake there i can accept that more than if if the system it just doesn't work when yeah which now right now these interview kind of interviews are prohibited by the referee department for some reason and like that's another thing that i just 
don't get the give more transparency and educate people that's uh, my suggestion here um because i can accept things but like with with think standard that first standard goal i still don't know it might be true it might uh, that it was no offside it might not it might it might as well be offside but just the line they judged it on was incorrect that was clearly seen so that's a system mistake that i honestly can't can't understand and can't accept so make sure that these things are clearly done right by whenever you would uh, I, I know i'm talking about the utopia and something that's not gonna happen but in my re- in my a train of thoughts if you would reinstall the var such things should just never happen um anymore no i think what you said so true yoris like especially the explanation one because that's what i'd struggled really with that east end goal is like just come out and tell me why you haven't given this goal just set like like at the end of the day like then we can kind of we at least we'll then know be like okay they didn't give the goal because they thought he was offside i still disagree with that decision but at least i know what you did and why you made that decision and then yeah the lines like i've seen it so many times where i'm like that just doesn't look right it doesn't look like you've got the right still or the right image and then you haven't got the right line and it's like if you had people like you said who are trained specifically to do this sort of stuff and who are trained with the technology and that's kind of their job is not to be a referee but it's to be a VAR person you're probably going to get better decisions from VAR anyway people are going to trust VAR more because they were like okay the people in this booth have just have had training on it and yeah I think it is that level of just like we want to know why these decisions have been made and they do it in other sports like yeah like I watch cricket and you'll you'll hear them speaking through the process and I don't even need that as a thing I just need someone at the end of it to be like this is why we've made this decision like just tell people what's gone on it's not like why is it so difficult why are you so scared to be kind of open and transparent with the decisions that's been made on the pitch like yeah i get it like referees do cop so much abuse and stuff but i think transparency would go a long way to help that i really do and i think you're right i think maybe we do need a pause for what's going on now and not adding extra rules and kind of making it more confusing like maybe we do pause it and just work on the system to make it better because i think what now that you've started it you can't get rid of it i think it's going to be here let's make it as good as we possibly can it's never going to be perfect but we can make it a lot better yeah i mean i i think i I think it's kind of got to a point with with decisions like some of the ones we've seen in recent weeks where you know the, the the lack of the fundamental lack of communication is leading to a loss of trust that's that's been over a longer period of time being being wore down anyway and the only way to resolve that is is to be more open and transparent i think as ben says and there's just no signs really of that happening which is it, it is infuriating and a, a lot of fans for a long time now have been calling for example for 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 some of the camera angled replays that they they have in the VAR van to to be played on on screens in stadiums and and things like that to to share that footage because it's just you know it, it's just it's got to the point where you know if 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 not only players but fans have lost lost confidence in this process then you do have a fundamental problem and you just you just need to address that yeah and just like of course it's not just one team like literally every team has probably a right claim to some uh, weird VAR decision this season like it has been ridiculous and it has been discussed uh, in 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 the media this week as well obviously but like yeah just these small suggestions they it really doesn't need to be a big change and yes i know of course it's utopia that that the VAR will disappear or utopia um i don't know as i said i'm actually 
in favor of, of VAR if it does what it needs to do. But okay, I guess we've talked about it at length uh, over the course of the last few weeks now. So uh, I will get on to my roundup. So yeah, uh, Yank Standard, you already covered most of it. Yeah, it was really an entertaining game with a lot of goals and just a lot of duels. I don't know what they mean with the duels. I, I guess they just mean one-on-ones. The, there were around 80 after 70 minutes only, which is like ridiculously high according to the stats shown on TV. So um, yeah, clear to, uh, to say it was a very intense game. Unfortunately, Hannah got off injured. Luckily, it seems like the injury is not too bad, but he might miss uh, the Leuven game, the next game, uh, but it should not be more than that. So, well, at least that's something. Oyen, unfortunately, then came on, which was a daring choice, I would say, in the end, probably not the smartest one, because, yeah, you could see that this game was a bit, because of the intensity, it was a bit much for him at this point, although he still showed a few yeah, nice actions, but like he lacked some oversights and then in the duels he was not the man that didn't help Hink. Yeah, Klaus had a really good game again as well for Standard with his goal and with a very nice assist. Although I feel like when Hink turned the game around at that time, it looked like Standard were the, were the ones that were dead and ready to uh, to get to, uh, to get some more goals in their basket. But then that happened and in the end that turned the game again. Like in the end, it looked very likely that Standard would win the game. But um, well, anyway, I think a, a draw was the, the right result for this game. It was a very entertaining game. And like, actually, I said like to you guys in the chat, like, well, or after the first half, like at least like this should have been 3-3 by now. And by then it was still nil-nil. So that was always <laughs> interesting. And in the end, we did get some goals, but it could have even been more. So like always a shame with these uh, Friday night games that uh, they don't show the highlights on Flemish TV. So I had to find a way to to watch the watch it on the French Walloon side of the country. But okay, that's uh, nothing too interesting for non-Belgians. No my kuju for Joris, not yet anyway. We'll put, we'll, put that, we'll put that call out there. That's true, <laughs> that's true, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. No, I'm very much looking forward to the cup final, if that gets, if, if that's any indication of how intense the cup final is going to be, we're in for a cracker. Yeah. Then Muskelun Ostende we talked about, deserved dream for Ostende indeed, uh, with some late-minute drama and drama earlier. Ope Kortrijk, there's not that much to say about this game, I guess, uh, but Ngoy had a lovely dribble and goal uh, subsequently, so I would recommend to, to uh, watch that back if you have the chance. And Open now are also mathematically safe. Kortrijk still have to wait at least one more game. I think. Actually, I didn't look up all the fixtures. Maybe Kortrijk are because, uh, also safe because of how the fixtures roll out. But I don't think so. They're close. Yeah, they're close to being safe. I think you're right. I think if they do get... Yeah, if they get one more win or one of the other sides slip up, I guess if Circular slip up again, they should be safe. Also, just wanted to give a quick shout out to Knowledge Masona. This is now his best scoring season, I think, since 2016-17. So he's kind of showing a bit more of his old or previous form with Erpen because he grabbed another goal in this game. And as some listeners know, he is one of my favourite players. So I thought I just had to give a shout out there. Yeah, yeah, indeed. He made a late uh, 2-0 uh, in that game, or in Indeed. Then moving on to Kvavemecha Oha-Leuven. Again, not that much to say, although it really was a very enjoyable game again. And 
also another few shout outs for uh for some goals the the first frank's goal really was actually stunning like a very nice chest control and then a volley on the turn and then you thought you saw the ga- the goal of the game but the Neure thought okay hold my beer and uh, had a great hit that, that end up in the top corner from yeah far out and also another volley so yeah that was, that, that's definitely a contender for for that goal, uh, goal of the game and maybe even of the week uh, or even more then there was actually well there is more to say than I thought despite not do- noting down too much so both teams had a lot of chances but then the, the, the drama came in the end when Soa actually hit the inside of the post with the final shot of the game which would have put uh, Leuven at three points of Genk and two points uh, is, as would turn out the two points of both Antwerp and uh, Anderlecht so really fighting for a fourth spot considering they play Genk next uh, well not next week but in two weeks time next game so uh, that would really have put them in a good position now yeah well, you never know Th- things can go quickly if they beat Genk then they're still at two points from the, from them and maximum four points out of yeah the top four then Klubrich Antwerp there's this one stat that has going around for like everywhere I think everyone came across this this was the first time that Antwerp won in the Andrado Stadium against Klubrichum or at that time, it was not even called the Jan Breidel Stadium yet, I think. So, since 31 years. So, yeah, a long wait has been over. Of course, too many of these years, Antwerp and Klumbrugge were not in the same division. So, that does help to, uh, yeah, to not win, obviously. And yeah, Antwerp won against Klumbrugge. They also won against Klumbrugge early in the season in the cup final well here theoretically the last se- the finish finishing game of last season that is then so yeah they they are one of the teams that Klubrigen are really struggling in, uh, against and just that that first goal like I didn't note it down but to come back to that that that, that just cannot happen though <laughs> like uh, they're, all, they're all giving it assists well if it was an assist with like a straight ball maybe but it was just the ball that actually bounced in the midfield and then just still rolled through in between the defenders like you don't expect that from uh, yeah the defense and the midfield of well the the, the what uh, of the future champions that was just ridiculous yeah and the best defense in the league yeah like i think i put it on our chat it was like the parting of the red sea wasn't it like it just went straight through and lamb calzi was just like in on goal and everyone was just like how has that happened it was so funny yeah i think i think that that definitely has to go down as kind of a bad defensive error i mean it's the sort of thing that at any level it doesn't matter whether you're playing at schoolboy level or you know it's senior professional football in any country things like that just should not be happening so it was yeah it was you kind of have to see it to believe it it is not very often you see an assist from a goalkeeper but there you go yeah and well actually for once i'm not that fond yet of the how the coverage has been with the standpoints of the ca- of the camera for example with that previously mentioned uh Eitel hatch uh outside uh foot pass like the caption was not so great, but here all happened at the right time because they had the drone view before before uh, the wolf kicked the ball out of his hands, and you could perfectly see the sea indeed opening up and uh, yeah, that assist unrolling uh, in the best view possible. Yeah, Andrik Sultwarium, I made my comments already about Trebel. Actually, 
small addition then uh, Mikhail Lichenko, as we also mentioned, he, he didn't play for a long while, but he, I don't know his statistics completely, but I do know that also he only lost one game this season, which was away at Club uh, Brugge, so a game that you definitely can lose. So yeah, just like similar to Trevel, he's not really used to losing. Still, he doesn't play too much. Uh, small comment there. And again, Circle, yeah, bad game, bad penalty finish. But the win for Gent, yeah, that was the most important for them. Like Castro Montes, who scored a penalty, well, scored a rebound of his penalty, was not even like celebrating too much. And also in the interview after the game, he said like, yeah, it's nothing much to to be happy about. It was just a terrible game. And like, I, I kind of like this kind of honest, honesty. I can definitely vouch for that. I, I endured the whole of, of uh, Ghent and Circle and can second Yoris's view that that was, that was one of those games that's a bit like taking a beating and <laughs> that you're just, you know, hoping that something's going to happen to kind of vindicate, you know, you, you spending 90 minutes on it. And uh, thankfully there was, there was at least a, a winner in the end because it's been a while. It looked like it was going to be one of those bad nil-nil draws. I thought, you know, th- th- that game was kind of Circle obviously really needed to get something out of that game because of the situation they're in and I just felt like they they played really really pretty poorly particularly their passing actually I thought their passing was kind of atrocious actually to be honest yeah they, they're gonna have to have to improve over the next few weeks if they're if they're gonna escape the drop I think because they're still very much in it um yeah, that's all we have time for this week. As always, special thanks to Joseph McDade for our intro and outro music. And once again, yet we are partnered with Freelance Football Ops subscription-based newsletter. So if you're interested in finding jobs covering writing, design, video, audio, and just kind of anything within football media, give them a follow. Look at their website on www.freelancefootballops.com. They send out a newsletter every single Monday with loads of jobs. So yeah, definitely worth checking them out. But yeah, we'll be back again in two weeks' time, as I've said. But in the meantime, you can find find us on twitter at belden podcast you can also find us all individually i'm at benjack94 scott's at scott underscore coin and yours is at yours underscore beck please do get in touch if you've got any feedback questions requests for us to appear on any other podcast or anything like that we are really really happy to kind of speak to people and help out in any way we can alternatively if you're not on social media you can email us uh, belgianfootpodcast at gmail.com but yeah Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you very soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.